Um, hey, well, my name's Michael. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. And if I haven't had the privilege or honor of meeting you yet, um, it's been a, a great uh, morning already. And we are so thankful for Pastor Dan and Becky and just the leadership that they bring to our church and the gift that they are to our family personally and to all of us. So uh, thank you, Becky, for being here to represent your family and Pastor Dan. Um, how many of you, I've, I've got to start off with the question, how many of you have ever um, maybe done something in your life uh, and, and you had regrets about it and maybe someone in your family or in your sorority or fraternity or maybe it was a boss or even a teacher said, you know what, I don't know if that's a good idea. I, I don't know if you should do that. But you went ahead and did it anyway and then you had to live with the consequences or the regrets of your decision later on. Has anyone besides me ever done that before? Okay, look around. Look, see, you're in good company this morning. All of us have made unwise or decisions that we've regretted, even though other people have warned us about it. And so I just wanted to take one second to show you a really quick video of someone who made a decision, but then they later on regretted that decision. So check out this video real quick. So uh, parents, you can thank me later. Um, but all of us at some point in time have probably made a decision that we've regretted, and we can kind of relate to this idea. Um, and, and it's kind of crept into our American way of thinking that, hey, you know what, I can do whatever I want, whenever I want, with whoever I want, as long as nobody gets hurt. I, I can do whatever I want, whenever I want, with whoever I want, as long as no one gets hurt, because I want to... I want to be autonomous. I want to be unaccountable to anyone else. I don't want people telling me what to do. I don't want to have to listen to people. If I don't want to be polite, then I don't want to be polite. If I don't want to go somewhere, if I don't want to go to my in-laws, then I don't want to go to my in-laws. I want to be able to make decisions, and no one can really tell me what to do. I want to be autonomous and unaccountable. And this has kind of crept into our way of thinking a lot of times as adults, especially with teenagers, if any of you parents have teenagers, you know you don't have to teach your teenagers this. They, they want to be able to do whatever they want, whenever they want, and they don't want to have to listen to authority. And Pastor Dan, two weeks ago when he was here, he shared with us this story from the book of Daniel. It's right after Ezekiel and it's before Hosea. And he shared with us that God is able. Many of you probably remember that sermon. And he talked about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and how God delivered them out of the fiery furnace. And the incredible thing about the book of Daniel and the, and the books leading up to the, the captivity of Israel was simply this, that we have so much history there. The Bible is telling us about the kings, the king after king after king that would come and go and come and go. And the crazy thing about the kings is this, that they started acting like kings, they started acting like kings and they thought, you know what, since I create some of these laws and I implement some of these laws and, and I declare justice on who gets judged by whatever law it is, you know what, since I make the laws, I can break the laws. Since, since I implement the laws, I'm above the law. I don't have to listen to what everything that everyone else has to do because I'm the king and I want to be the king. And so God would send these prophets and, and these priests and these men and women to warn the kings and say, hey, 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 red light, danger zone, don't come this way, king, you need to turn around, you need to change your ways, you need to repent. But the kings acted like kings, and they didn't want to listen, and they didn't want to have to be accountable. They didn't want to have to listen to someone else telling them what they had 
to do. And I can relate to this. I'm not the king of my home. I don't walk around uh, and say, hey, I'm the king like the honeymooners do. Any of you remember that show, the honeymooners? Um, but that idea of, hey, I'm the king. I'm the Lord of this. Castle. I'm in charge here. But, but Linnell and I, we share responsibilities and we give the kids um, the rules and tell them, hey, this is kind of the law of our house. And one of the laws is just simply this. Hey, don't drink out of the milk carton. All right, it's your backwash, it, there's germs, that's gross, don't do that. I mean, it's easy, we don't have to do dishes, but don't drink out of this, it, that's disgusting. Do not drink out of the milk carton. Abby, Malachi, don't drink out of the milk carton. But who do you think drinks out of the milk carton more than anyone else? Linnell, that's right. No. No, I do. I do. Why? I mean, I'm behind the refrigerator like dunking down, drinking out of the milk carton. Why? Because, hey, I made the rule, and I don't want my kids or my wife telling me what to do. I mean, come on. I, I'm helping to pay for this milk. I should be able to drink out of the milk carton. Come on. And Linnell's like, Michael, you can't tell people that because then they're not going to want to come to our house. <laughs> but the other thing that these kings could not understand was just simply this that there was a direct relationship between rebellion when they didn't want to listen and pain. That rebellion equals pain. That rebellion, if you rebel long enough against the God, if you rebel long enough against uh, the laws of the land, if you rebel long enough against whatever rule it is, that it eventually leads to pain. And over and over again, the kings could not figure this out, that rebellion equals pain. Rebellion equals pain. Rebellion equals pain. And so some of these kings, they lost their lives, they lost their family, some of them got diseases. In fact, the last king of Israel, his name was Hezekiah, the Bible tells us that his entire family is killed right before his eyes. Then they gouge out his eyes, they put him in shackles and lead him off to Babylon, all because he wanted to be king. And this also applies into our family too as well, because there's... Linnell and I have learned, and we've watched other families, and we're still learning and trying to figure out how to be good parents, but, but we've watched other families that haven't taught their kids this relationship between rebellion and pain, and so we've really tried to teach our kids that. Abby, Malachi, Lily, we want you to know that there's a relationship between rebellion and pain. Rebellion equals pain, and either we as your parents, we can teach you that, or a teacher at school can teach you that relationship between rebellion and pain. Or a principal at school can teach you the relationship between rebellion and pain. Or your boss one day can teach you the relationship between rebellion and pain. Or someone who drives a car with blue and red lights on it can teach you the relationship between rebellion and pain. And so all of us have probably seen family members or seen other families that don't teach their kids this lesson. And I'm probably saying too much this morning. But have you ever wanted to spank someone else's kids? I mean, you're standing there, you're sitting there, you're like, hey, someone's eventually going to teach you the relationship between rebellion and pain. Let's get started now. Because we can either teach you this right now in a safe environment, or you're going to have to learn it the hard way. Because all of us eventually, if you haven't already, learn the relationship between rebellion and pain. None of us want to learn this lesson in any time of our lives. But we all learn this lesson, and sometimes we learn it the hard way. 
So we're going to be in the book of Daniel. If you want to turn there, it's in the Old Testament. The Bible's broken up into two Testaments, the Old Testament and the New Testament. And, and so it's in the Old Testament. It's towards the back. Again, it's after Ezekiel. It's before Hosea. You can go to the table of contents if you can't find the page number. If you don't have your Bible, it'll be up on the screen. But there's a king that's ruling during this time. And his name, pastor introduced to us to him a few weeks ago. His name is Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar is an incredible and a unique king because he had taken over the then known world. They called him the king of kings. You might have heard that term before. They called Nebuchadnezzar the king of kings. And, and some of you, you might collect model cars. You might collect bottle caps. Some of you might collect stamps. Ladies, you might collect shoes. I mean, the ladies in my house, they collect shoes. But I, I don't know exactly what you collect. But Nebuchadnezzar collected kings. Nebuchadnezzar would collect kings and, and he would be known for all of the kings that he had defeated all throughout the time. And the Bible said that he's ruling and everything is going great for Nebuchadnezzar until one day in chapter four of Daniel, this is what it says in verse number four. It says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, content and prosperous, and I had a dream that made me afraid. And so Nebuchadnezzar has this dream, and this is what he dreams. He dreams that there's this gigantic tree, and this tree, its branches cover the whole earth, and the birds of the air come and make their nest into this tree, and, and the beasts of the field, they come and gather underneath this tree, and they make their home, and this tree is one of the greatest trees. It's the greatest tree in all of the world. And then in his dream, he dreams that this angel comes down and this voice comes from heaven and it says, chop down the tree, timber. And this angel comes down and he cuts down the tree and the tree falls. And they wrap this chain around the trunk of the tree. And Nebuchadnezzar wakes up and he's in a panic mode. He's sweating and he's afraid and he calls all of his magicians, enchanters, astrologers, everybody. And he's saying, hey, come and interpret this dream. Come and interpret this dream. And no one can interpret Nebuchadnezzar's dream. And he calls on Daniel, one of his most trusted advisors. And he tells Daniel the dream. Hey, Daniel, this is what my dream was. And he explains it to Daniel and Daniel becomes afraid. And Nebuchadnezzar puts his arm around Daniel, and he's like, hey, it's okay, Daniel, it's all right. It's going to be okay. And Daniel says, king, it's not going to be okay, because this dream, it's about you. This dream is about you, Nebuchadnezzar. And listen to what Daniel says about the dream. This is the interpretation in verse number 24. This is the interpretation, your majesty, and this is the decree the Most High has issued against my lord, the king. You will be driven away from people and you will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox and be drenched with the dew from heaven. Seven times will pass until you acknowledge, and this is our key verse, church, until you acknowledge that the most high God is sovereign over all the kings on the earth. That the most high is sovereign over all the kingdoms of the earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. Your kingdom will be restored when you acknowledge that heaven rules. King Nebuchadnezzar, you might be king of kings on this planet. You might be the greatest of all time here, but heaven rules and you're accountable to someone else greater, more powerful, and stronger and wiser than you are. 
And even though you think you're in charge, Nebuchadnezzar, it's actually God who's entrusted you and given you the authority that you have. Wicked king or not, great king or not, he's given you the authority because he's sovereign over all the kingdoms of this world and he lets whoever he wants to rule and lead them. You're accountable, king. And Daniel begs King Nebuchadnezzar to repent. He says, King, turn from your wicked ways. Come on, repent of your sin. Start to show generosity. Start to show kindness. Live differently. You can read it. It's right there in Scripture. But Nebuchadnezzar doesn't change. He doesn't listen to the warning. He doesn't listen to the red flags. He just keeps living how he wants to live. And listen to what happens in verse number 29. It says, 12 months later, as the king walked on the roof of his royal palace of Babylon, he said, is not this the greatest, the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my name? And you're thinking to yourself, Nebuchadnezzar, there's no way. There's no way that in 12 short months that you've forgotten the dream that you had, the vision that you had about your kingdom being taken away from you. And only your most trusted advisor, Daniel, was able to figure it out. Nebuchadnezzar, surely you're not going to do this. Surely you're not going to act in arrogance. Surely you're not going to act in pride, Nebuchadnezzar. Come on. Don't you know that rebellion equals pain? And you're watching this, and it unfolds almost like a movie. Because Nebuchadnezzar, he's standing there and seeing and explaining how great he is. He's saying, hey, have you Googled my name? Do you know how many followers I have on Twitter? Do you know how many people liked my photo this weekend? Do you know how great I am? And you can tell everybody, I'm the man, I'm the man, I'm the man. And he's singing that up there on top of his royal palace. And you're like, Nebuchadnezzar, are you crazy? Are you serious? You're really going to act like this, Neb? Seriously? And what happens next is this. A voice comes from heaven. And says, Nebuchadnezzar, you've acted foolishly. And you're going to lose your mind. And your hair is going to grow out. And your fingernails are going to be like claws. And you're not going to be able to speak. And you're going to eat grass and bark and twigs for seven seasons. Until you acknowledge that the Most High God is sovereign over all the kingdoms of this earth. And gives them to whomever we, he wishes. And yes, you might be great in your own eyes, Nebuchadnezzar. But because of your arrogance and your pride, God is about to humble you. And for seven seasons, church, we don't know if this is seven years. We don't know if this is seven weeks. We don't know if this is seven months. It just says for seven seasons, for seven times, Nebuchadnezzar loses his mind. And he's eating grass and he's out there running around in, in his boxer shorts and everyone's laughing at him. And he's the laughing stock of all of Babylon, of all the kings. This one time, king of all kings, lord of all lords, is now eating grass like a wild animal and is insane. And you don't have to look very far on the internet, on the news. We've all seen people who had everything possible, didn't they? I mean, they had money, they had wealth, they had fame, they had everything that you could possibly, all of everything everyone is trying to sometimes strive for. They have it all, and what ends up happening? They lose their mind. They lose their reputation. They think that their press release, they actually start to believe it, and they walk in arrogance and pride. And it's not just famous people. You know people in your family. You know people in your school. You know people that you work with. 
that they had everything going for them. And all of a sudden, they get tripped up by their own pride, by their own arrogance. They don't want to listen to anyone else. They're, unautonom- they're autonomous. They're unaccountable to anyone else. And then listen to what this pagan king writes in verse 34. It says, at the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven and my sanity was restored. And then I praised the most high and I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does what he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand and say to him, hey, what have you done, God? What do you think you're doing, God? Are you serious? You can't do that, God. No one can give God instructions or correct him. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. And so this story, church, circulated all around the kingdom. I mean, I'm sure Nebuchadnezzar sat people or his kids on his lap, his grandkids, and told them the time that crazy Neb lost his mind because he acted in pride and in arrogance against God. And everyone knew about this story. And years pass, and Nebuchadnezzar dies. And the next person in line, one of his sons named Nabonidus, if you know your history, Nabonidus takes the throne after Nebuchadnezzar. But Nabonidus does something that no other king has ever done in the history of kings. He retires. I mean, kings go to war, kings, kings lose their life, kings grow old and then finally die. But Nabonidus did something no other king has ever done. He retired and he went to live on an oasis on a beachfront in luxury and in wealth and in ease. And he set up his son, Belshazzar, as kind of the puppet king or the co-king or the king in residence back at Babylon. But Nabonidus had ran off and he just wanted to go and live in luxury on an island for many, many years. But on October the 10th, 530 BC, you can look this up in the history books, a king by the name of Cyprus started making his way to attack Babylon. And he started defeating outpost after outpost after outpost, and he's making his way towards Babylon. And they go and they warn Nabonidus, hey, Nabonidus, you got to come out of retirement. Cyrus, he's coming. He's coming to take over. You've got to come out. And so they, he does. And they have this epic battle, and Cyrus beats him on the battlefield and kills Nabonidus. And he makes his way towards Babylon where Belshazzar is there. And Belshazzar does something very odd and very weird. He throws a party because the walls around Babylon, that community, were so thick. And many of you have heard the stories and you've read the stories about how they would have chariot races on top of walls because these walls were so massive, were so huge. And so Belshazzar says, there's no way Cyrus is getting in here. He can rot for all we care. We're throwing a party to my god, Marduk. And they started bringing all of the idols from all of the nations that Nebuchadnezzar has defeated. And and they brought their idols and they bowed them down to Marduk. And Belshazzar notices, hey, wait a second. There's no idol for Israel's king. 
And I've heard about Israel, King David, I mean, the legendary King David and Solomon and all of these great kings that followed. Why isn't there an idol here for their nation? And they're like, well, king, one of their commandments, one of their Ten Commandments is not to make any graven images, not to make any idols. Don't put anything before God. And so they never did. All, all that we have here are some goblets and some plates and some utensils that they used in their temple to worship their God. And Belshazzar says, bring them in. We're going to drink out of those. And we're going to eat off of them. And it's going to be like their God is serving us dinner, is serving us a meal. And so they're sitting there and they're celebrating and they're partying and they're drinking and they're eating, right? And they're doing all of this stuff. And again, I have to sing songs because this is just what I do. The DJ's playing, it's our party, we can do what we want. It's our, and they're just celebrating. They don't give any regard for what is happening. They're, they're saying, who cares about Cyrus? Who cares about the Persians? They're not going to beat us. And then a hand. You might have heard this before, the handwriting on the wall. That's in the Bible. You should read your Bible. It's got some great stuff in there. There's handwriting on the wall. Even some contemporary artists have sang songs about the handwriting on the wall. There's some handwriting, and Belshazzar, the Bible tells us, turns pale white. And his knees start to knock together, and he's freaked out. So now he calls his astrologers, magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, everybody, all of the wizards. He's saying, hey, come and interpret this for me. And no one can do it. And that scares him even more so. And then the queen, his mom, comes in and says, hey, Belshazzar, it's okay. There's a wise man named Daniel. And he used to interpret riddles and dreams and visions and all sorts of stuff for your grandfather, Nebuchadnezzar. Why don't you call Daniel in here? And Daniel walks in, and, and church, he's, he's in his 70s. He's becoming, he's an old, wise man by now. He's in his 70s, and no doubt Daniel is thinking, once again, God is about to show off in front of this king who thinks that he's it. God's about to show off. And he says, Daniel, Daniel, he bows down to Daniel. Hey, I'll give you all the gold chains you want. I'll clothe you in purple. I'll put a purple robe around you. I'll make you third greatest person in Babylon. You'll help rule this place. Just tell me what this means on the wall. And Daniel says, Belshazzar, you can keep your Mr. T starter kit. I don't want any robes. I don't want any authority. I don't want any position in your kingdom. I don't need any of that. You can keep all of that. And I'll tell you what God's getting ready to tell you. And Daniel goes over and listen to what he says in chapter 5 of verse 18. Your majesty, the most high God gave your father Nebuchadnezzar sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor. And because of his high position, he gave him all of the nations and the people of every language dreaded and feared him. But when his heart became arrogant... And hardened with pride, he was deposed of his royal throne and stripped of his glory. He was driven away from people and given the mind of an animal. He lived with the wild donkeys and ate grass like the ox. And his body was drenched with the dew of heaven. And here's our verse again. Until, until he acknowledged that the most high God is sovereign. He's sovereign over the kingdoms, all, all kingdoms on earth, and sets over them anyone he wishes. 
But you, Belshazzar, his son, you've not humbled yourself, though you knew all of this. Belshazzar, you knew. You sat on his knee and he told you the story about what God did to him. You knew this. You heard the stories that had been circulating all over Babylon. You knew that he was prideful. You knew that he was arrogant. And still, this is how you've acted. You knew all of this. Instead, you've set up for yourself, you set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You had the goblets from his temple brought into you, and you and your nobles and your wives and your concubines drank wine from them. You praised the God of silver, gold, bronze, and iron, wood, and stone, which cannot hear or understand. But you did not honor the God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. Therefore, he sent the hand that wrote the inscription. This is the inscription that is written, mean, mean, tekel parson. Here is what the words mean. Mean, God has numbered the days of your reign and brought them to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed on the scales and found one. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. And if you know your history, that night... The Persians rerouted the Euphrates River that flowed underneath the walls. They rerouted it. They sent soldiers in underneath. They opened the gates. The Persians came in. And that night, Belshazzar lost his life. All because he wanted to be king. All because he refused to listen, even though he knew what he was supposed to be doing. And church, I know that this is an epic story. It's, it's got blood and war and kings and fighting and handwriting on the walls and all of these incredible things. I mean, it's the thing that Hollywood makes movies out of. This is an incredible, incredible story. But you know what? I think it has shadows that fall into your life and into my life. Because all of us at some point in time, we want to be king. And you might be here this morning and you're wondering, hey, (laughs) you're thinking in your mind, how did he know? No wonder my husband said that I needed to be at church this morning. No wonder my parents made me come to church this morning, even though I didn't want to. How did he know? I'm sure my wife sent him his notes and his outline this morning. I promise she didn't. How does he know? Church, this is part of the human condition. All of us at some point in time, we want to be king. We want to be autonomous and we want to be unaccountable. We don't want people telling us what to do. We want to live how we want to live. And some of you might be facing this right now and it feels like the enemy has kind of gathered around outside. And you're in a panic mode. You're wondering, what am I going to do? Because you've tried to live as king. You've tried to live and be in charge. And God over and over again has said, no, I'm king. I'm king. And you're accountable. You're accountable for your actions. You're accountable for your words. You're you're accountable for the way that you live. The way that this looks in the New Testament, I just want to share this with you really quick. It's this, and it'll be up on the screen. If God did not spare his own son to gain your salvation, he will not spare your wealth, your health, your marriage, or even your career to gain your attention. 
If God didn't spare Jesus Christ, his one and only son, to gain your salvation, do you really think he's going to spare your marriage, your career, your job, your health, anything to get your attention, to let you know how much he loves you, to let you know how much he cares about you? If God went to great lengths to get Nebuchadnezzar's attention, if God went to great lengths to get all of the kings of Israel's attention, if God went to great lengths to get Belshazzar's attention, do you really think he will not go to great lengths to get your attention? John, one of the apostles that saw Jesus rise from the dead, in the book of Revelation, he hears Jesus saying this, and so he's writing it down. This is Jesus talking. This is what he says in Revelation chapter 3. Those whom I love, I rebuke and I discipline. So be earnest and repent. I'm here. I'm here. I stand at the door, and I'm knocking. And I'm not knocking because I don't know how to, how to open a door. And I'm not knocking because I don't know how to get in. You know why I'm knocking? Because I'm giving you another chance. I'm giving you another chance to open up the door of your life and to let me come in and not just be your savior, but be your king. I'm giving you another chance. I'm giving you another opportunity to open up the door of your life and to say, you know what? I've tried to be in control. I've tried to make all of these things work. I've tried to rule in my own life and I've made a mess of it. And I'm giving you one more chance. I'm knocking on the door. And you can either open up the door or you can keep ignoring me. And church, here, here's the thing. The reason that it feels like God is the enemy the reason that you feel like you're giving up so much is because you've forgotten how much God loves you. The reason you feel like, you know what, I want to be king. I don't want to have to do that. I don't want to have to submit to that authority. I don't want to have to do that. I want to live my own way. I want to do whatever I want, and no one has to tell me what to do. I'm going to do it. It's because you don't really understand that God knows best for your life and for mine. And that he's hoping and he's given everything just for you to open up the door. The reason that the email got found that you thought was deleted, the reason your wife found out, the reason your husband found out, the reason that it seems like you can't get away with anything, the reason that your teachers found out or those in authority over you found out is because God's pursuing you. God's loving you. God's trying to get your attention. And he's trying to remind you that he wants to be king. I don't know what it is for you this morning. And if the worship team can go ahead and make their way back up here, I, I don't know what it is for you. For some of you, you need to go home today and you need to pack up and move out from where you're living because you know you shouldn't be living there. And you didn't need a preacher to tell you that. But you know, you know in your heart, you feel like you've been in this wrestling match with God and you know you shouldn't be living with that person that you're living with, but you've made excuse after excuse after excuse after excuse and you know better, but you're like, I want to be king. For some of you, it's breaking off a relationship. For some of you, it's getting rid of some electronic that keeps bringing you down and you know that you need to do that. 
And you've said, you know what, I'm going to make a New Year's resolution, and that's come and gone. I'm going to get better. I'm going to start next month. No, that's come and gone. And this electronic keeps bringing you down, bringing you down, bringing you down. And you're like, I know what I need to do, but I just don't. I can control it. I can manage through the consequences. I can do it. I can do it. I can do it. And God's still knocking. For some of you, you need to go home today. You need to pour the alcohol down the sink. And it has nothing to do with the alcohol, but it's become the third person in your marriage. And you know it has, and you've become a different person when you drink the alcohol. And you know your family has told you that. Your kids have told you that. Your wife has told you that. Your husband has told you that. But you just keep saying, no, I want to be king. And Jesus is just saying, I want to be king. Will you open up the door? Will you open up the door? I don't know what it is for you, but all of you in some area of your life, in some area of my life, we all try to play king. And God over and over again through scripture is saying, hey, I love you. 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 And if you keep going down that path, it's going to take you a place that you don't want to go. Some of you, you need to go home and confess to your spouse today. You need to do it. And you're like, Michael, if I do that, it's going to break their heart. It's going to break their heart either way. Either you can be the one who brings the news to them or they can find out on their own. It's completely and totally up to you. You can choose. But he's standing there at the door and he's knocking. And I wish that you would listen. I wish, I wish, I wish that you would listen. But some of us choose to just keep ignoring God's invitation. And so the choice is yours. The choice is mine. God gives us the opportunity to say, okay, are we going to submit? Or are we going to be like Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar? Are we going to allow our hearts to grow so hard that we don't want to listen to anyone? I just want to say a prayer for you. And I'm going to ask if... Um, our prayer team, they're going to be up here in the front after the service. This is going to be your dismissal. And um, when I pray, and Brent will lead us in a song here in a moment, but they're going to be up here up front and, and just available. And you don't have to confess anything to them. You can just say, you know what, what he was talking about, there's an area of my life that I've tried to be king over, and I just need to surrender it to God. Will you just pray with me that God would give me the wisdom to know what to do, and then the courage to actually follow through and do it. Not just pray, not just cry. We've all done that. Uh, I'm going to do better. Make empty promises to actually go home and do something about it. That's the hard part. It's easy. It's easy for me to stand up here and preach this sermon. That's easy. It's easy for you to sit there and to be convicted and to, and to know what it is in your life that you need to transform and change. That's easy. It's hard when you walk out of these doors, when you get back in your car, when you go back to work tomorrow, when you get back on the computer, when you do all of the things that you normally do throughout the week. That's the hard part. And that's where you need the Holy Spirit to help you. This part is easy. The hard part is to say, okay, God, I'm going to submit my will to you. And so prayer team, if you guys can go ahead and make your way up here. Everybody, if you'll just stand for a moment. And again, I'm going to close this in prayer. And you'll be dismissed to go. Or again, you're welcome to come. And one of these prayer leaders would love to be able to pray with you this morning.
Let me pray for us. God, we thank you so much. We thank you so much that you love us. God, you love us so much that you won't let us keep living the way that we're living. You'll throw up every warning sign possible to get our attention. And God, I know that it's hard. I know that it's difficult, Lord, to to live this out and to practice it. It's hard to make those tough decisions. But God, I pray, would you give us the grace Would you give us the grace that we need to move forward? Would you give us the grace and the strength and the courage to do what we know we're supposed to do, to do what we need to do? Will you give us your spirit, God, to actually follow through with what you've convicted of us this morning so that we can walk in freedom, so that we can walk in life, so that we can walk in hope? God, I pray for every person here that's here this morning. And God, I pray that you would bless them, God, that as they take one step towards you, God, you would take a thousand steps towards them and you would surround them with your love and with your grace and with your mercy and let them know, God, that you are with them, that you're for them, that you're not against them, God. You are for them, not against them. So bless your people, I pray this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.